quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Figure out a purpose. Go serve a purpose. Through your purpose, you can have an impact, a positive impact, and through that positive impact, you'll find fulfillment. Mark my words, we are all searching for fulfillment, whether we know it or not. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest-running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I'm here with Cody Bugen. Cody is based in Scottsdale, Arizona. He's the founder of Allied Development. He has 21 years experience finding off-market raw land deals with development potential, getting them entitled and selling them to home builders. He's also the founder of VestRite, where he teaches other investors how to do the same thing. Cody, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on? Yeah, I'll start off by saying this. We're focused on exactly what you just talked about. So we went through a recent market correction recently, as we're all aware of, about middle of 22. It's still kind of going, but I think we've seen the bottom of it as far as single-family residential. But our focus right now is just gathering. Our number one word at our company for 2023 is gather. We're gathering great people and great properties. So what do I mean by that? Well, I'll tell you that we're picking up talent right now for our team and for our company that I couldn't have touched a year and a half ago. But because of what's happened in the marketplace, we're just taking this opportunity to add to our phenomenal team along with picking up properties, why other people are sitting on their hands in fear and being skeptical. We're out there just gathering up deals. But as we get into this interview, you'll come to realize why I have the freedom to do that based upon my business model versus maybe some of the other people you might have on your show and how their business model works. So that's what we're focused on, brother, is gather. I do have a lot of questions about that, Cody. The (laughs) first thing I want to point out is you said just now something along the lines of the market having already bottomed out for single-family homes. Can you put a little meat behind that? Brother, I'm a meat and potatoes guy. I grew up in a small little town that got its first street signal, I think, when I was in high school. So I got a lot of smart people around me, but I go a lot off of feel. So just based upon my experience being in the industry for 21 years, here's what we all know if we've been around the block long enough. You can never time the bottom and you can never time the top. Once the bottom has happened, it's already gone by the time you realize it. Same with the top, the peak. So just... What I'm gathering based upon my clients, so you understand my clients, who I'm here to serve, to bring value to, is the public home builders of America, the D.R. Hortons, the Lennar, the Pulteys, the KBs, the Taylor Morrisons, the Meritage, all these big national home builders, those are who I'm here to serve. And I will tell you that builder optimism came back quicker than I thought it would. I thought it was going to come back first quarter of 24. And it started coming back second quarter of 23. So just based upon the activity we're seeing and how things are playing out and what I think feds are going to do related to interest rates, I think the bottom's gone as far as single family. Now, if you want to go over to Joe's model, or I'm up here in Coeur d'Alene right now for the month of July because it's awfully hot in Scottsdale. So guys like Brandon Turner, who a lot of you probably know who he is, right? Brandon Turner, Beardy Brandon, or Ken McElroy, the OG of multifamily syndication. Both those guys are up here in quarter lane with me the whole month of July. I think on that side of the industry, 
there's some blood still to come to the streets. I think a lot of guys are in trouble as far as their bridge loans. And I think as far as multifamily or even storage or even the different business models that work on cap rates, I think you all haven't seen the bottom yet. My business model doesn't work on cap rates. So as far as single family residential build to sell, I think the bottom is gone. Several questions here, but I want to stay on this topic. I'm going to make some assumptions based on what you said. Correct me where I'm wrong before answering my questions. Your sense that the single family home bottom of the market has already passed comes from the sentiment you are experiencing from the major single family home builder players in the United States that are working with very large data sets and make very big moves in the market based on their scale. So you're seeing their appetite for your product, which is the entitled land they can build on. And that is bringing you to believe that we're back to moving up and to the right when it comes to single family homes. Why are you waiting until next year to sell them if the demand is there right now? Well, because you got to understand is there's a process, right? So when I go and gather land for me to get through that entitlement process, it takes a year to two years. So all this stuff that I'm heavily gathering right now, I can't deliver that stuff till 24 or 25. That's another beautiful thing about my business model. I'm in the business of controlling real estate. I'm not in the business of owning real estate. So how is it that my fund is still going to see mid-20s IRR in 23 and 24? And I even killed seven or eight deals in fourth quarter of 22. In first quarter of 23, I was killed seven deals in that fund. But I was able to renegotiate the purchase price, renegotiate the terms on all the other deals. That's because I'm in the business of controlling real estate, not owning real estate. If anybody could learn one thing from me, realize as soon as you take ownership of real estate, you lose most of your options. So with this market correction, I'm able to reset my basis based upon the new market because I don't own it. So I'm telling you all that to say that when I go gather in 23, understand when I put these deals under contract, I don't close on them until the development's approved, until the entitlements are in place. Because I have this, here again, meat and potatoes <laughs> saying that if you're going to pay for a diamond, you got to make sure it's a diamond and it's not a diamond until it's approved. And so anybody that wants to come into my space and get involved with raw land and turn it into approved developments, the worst thing you can do is close on that stuff without the approvals in place. When someone comes into my industry, that is the first sign to me that they don't know what they're doing or they're not experienced is when they close on it like a normal real estate transaction because all the value is in the approvals. Just because something's zoned for development, it's got utilities, it's got access, it's got all these great things to make it developable, you don't have anything until that development's approved. Until you have the agreement of the local government authorities, regional, whatever it takes, the people who have to rubber stamp all of your plans. That's right. What is the size of deal that you are targeting currently? Yeah. Is it acreage? Is it value? I'll get into location later. That's a whole nother conversation when we talk about market cycles, but specific to the size of the deal, what are your metrics? So I'll just tell you, when I started out 21 years ago, I was doing deals that were two, three, four lots. At the end of the day, I'm not in the business of getting acreage approved. I'm in the business of getting lots approved. So we think in the terms of lots. Today at Allied Development, our sweet spot is 100 to 500 lots. And there's numerous reasons why that's our sweet spot. But yeah, we're looking at deals that are 100 to 500 lots. Can you tell us those reasons why that's your sweet spot? 
So one is I'll tell you that when you're in the business of entitlements and getting developments approved, whether it's a 10 lot deal or a 100 lot deal, the work is about the same. So let's just first start there. Secondly is the nationals, as I spoke about a moment ago, the national home builders are really our clients. That's who we've linked up with. We have the relationships with. So they don't really want to close because remember, I'm selling these deals entitled. So they're approved developments on paper, but none of the actual construction has been done yet. So what happens is, is that in general, based upon absorption rates, is that my clients don't usually want to close on more than 250 lots at a time. So we don't go beyond 500 lots because we usually don't want to do a deal that's more than two phases, right? Or two takedowns for our clients. Anything less than 100 lots, my clients aren't that excited about either because it's not big enough. Cody, my next question was going to be, how do you fund your deals? But also, it sounds like you're not acquiring the real estate until you're pretty close to being ready to sell it to your client. That being the case, how is it that you're funding your deals? <laughs> so it still takes capital. For those of you that are out there doing friends and family capital and your own capital, I did that for the first 18 years of my career. Today I have funds, so 506Bs, 506Cs. So we bring in the general public that are investors in our fund, or our funds, I should say. Our average deal, I'll just give you some quick math, okay? And you are right. We close with our seller the same time our buyer closes with us. So we actually use our buyer's money to pay the seller through a double closing or simultaneous closing. And we make our profits out of the middle for our value add. We're in the value add business with land because we take raw land, we turn it into approved developments. But that still takes money. So between the fees that my development company gets for doing all the work, for finding all the off-market deals, doing all the prospecting and running all the entitlements between the fees and then the money we pay to our consultants, our engineers, the money we pay to the jurisdiction to get this stuff approved. Everything involved in the entitlement process, along with the earnest money we'll pay to the seller along the way, our average deal takes about 750 grand plus or minus in cash or capital to get through that process. And our funds, we have funds, like I said, are about $15 million of fund. So each fund, we do 15 to 20 deals in each fund. Does that make sense? It does. Cody, we're not in the business of making investment opportunities available through the podcast. So I want to speak specifically to funds that you have closed already that are not available to the public anymore. Being that they are effectively funding due diligence and not actually acquisition, what does your relationship with the fund look like in regards to how returns or profits are shared? So I wouldn't say we're in the business of funding due diligence. I don't know that I would agree with that statement because we have a due diligence process that takes 90 to 120 days of our overall year to two year process. So I'll just tell you how we do it. I'll speak of a fund that's closed, okay? So that you can't invest in it. I want to start off by, let's just say this. I paid a 20 pref. I paid a 20% preferred return to the investors, okay? And then I paid a 10 split, 10% split of the profit after that. Probably the first you've ever heard that on your podcast. So why did I do that? Well, one is that my margins are substantially higher 
than Joe's margins or Ken's margins or Brandon's margins or Brad Shumrock's margins or Grant Cardone. All these syndicators, they don't have the meat on the bone that I do in my business model. So I have much higher margins. So because of that, I just tell you straight up that there's no way that I was doing 70, 80% of the profit on my fund for the limited partners. I don't need to. So those guys, they have to do that type of split of the profit because of the business model and the margins that are in the model. Because you've got to do that much of the profit in order for it to be an attractive investment. So because I wasn't willing to do 70, 80% of the profit, I was like, how do I overcome this? How do I give them 10% of the profit, 15% of the profit, and still have people line up to invest in my fund? And I'll tell you, the fund that I'm speaking of right now, I did one webinar with 173 people on it, and the fund fully subscribed, and I believe it was around three and a half hours. Okay, let's just say less than 24 hours. How did I do that? Well, I did that through a 20 pref, because here's the thing. I can go and pay the investors a 20 pref before any profit splits, including money going to me. And just my 20 pref outperforms most other funds or syndications that are out there as a whole. Nothing against them. They're all my buddies. What they're offering is six, seven, eight pref, whatever, and an overall IRR of, let's just say, 15 to 19%. Well, with a 20 pref, it's game over. Just my pref outperforms their whole fund. So who cares about the profit split? The profit split is just a cherry on top. Does that make sense? It does. And the first place that my mind goes, considering how profitable the model is here, well, first of all, there's much more, quote unquote, active investing involved and operation involved in the model. You're also not on a targeted five-year hold period. The idea of a 20 pref with 10% profits above that, and with regards to the fund and how long you're holding the capital, it's about a two-year hold period, it sounds like. It leads me to believe that while there may not be higher risk involved in your investing activity than in other investing activities with lower returns, there is a significant barrier to entry to what you do that is not as present for the active investor, for the general partner as there is in, for example, value at apartment syndication. Am I on the right track here? And when I say barrier to entry, I don't necessarily mean the money. I mean the expertise, the work involved, the connections that you have to be able to have to pull off what you're doing. What is that barrier to entry that makes your levels of returns possible? What a phenomenal question. So let's start off by saying this that there's not an entitlement guy, a land value add guy on every street corner. So household sailors, apartment syndicators, whatever. Here's the reality. There's one on every street corner. It's a very competitive space. We call it blue ocean, red oceans. Like apartment syndication, household, those are red oceans, very competitive spaces where over and where I'm at, I call it a blue ocean. But that's part of the reason why I started my education company a few years ago called Vestrite, because I wanted to teach others how to do what I do every day. It's a part of my PIF, Purpose Impact Fulfillment. I want to take the specialty knowledge I have and go teach others how to do it. And that I know of, I'm the only guy online teaching 
entitlements, teaching land use, teaching value add with raw land. There's guys out there teaching land, but it's just how to wholesale land and make a quick buck, how to do a true value add business with land. So there's no question the barrier of entry is higher because it's not being taught everywhere you turn. But I will tell you, I have many success stories of students and I hear time and time again, once they got their arms around it and understood it, they got the education they needed, it wasn't as intimidating. I mean, here's the reality as humans, we fear the unknown. So that's why Vestrite's been such a beautiful thing. I'm trying to take an unknown space and make it known. And then people say, well, Cody, if you're making so much money doing it, why are you teaching it? Because I'm teaching it for my legacy, man. I have one legacy. You have one legacy. I'm teaching it to make a difference. And at the end of the day, well, Cody, there's a limited amount of land. Aren't we going to run out of land? Anybody that says that there's not enough land, please don't take this personal, but you're uneducated. Is that there's plenty of land to go around. Here's the reality. If Cody Bugan becomes responsible for all the land in America being gone, I will be the richest man in the world by 100x, my friend. The point is, it's not going to happen. So I know I rambled there a little bit, but hopefully all that kind of makes sense. It does. And I want to talk about where that land is that you're investing, because there are a few different points when it comes to location that are worth discussing here. We'll get back to the show with the first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you tired of spending hours managing your rental properties? Inago is here to simplify your life as a landlord or property owner with their free property management software. With Inago, you can say goodbye to complex and costly solutions. Inago is designed with simplicity in mind, focusing on the features that matter to you. From tenant screening and lease signing, to rent collection and work order management, Anago has got you covered. They offer a seamless interface and dedicated support representatives to assist you in every step of the way. Join thousands of satisfied landlords and start streamlining your property management tasks today with Anago. Plus, you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card just for using Anago. Visit anago.com forward slash best ever to get started and reclaim your time and sanity that's I-N-N-A-G-O dot com forward slash best ever. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital dot the bam companies.com coming back to your clientele third quarter of 2023 where is it that national home builders want to be building right now great question you and i both know there's more migration happening in our country than ever and i'm not going to go political here but it is a political conversation and the reality is is that i'm just doing deals where people want to live 
my builders are just building where people want to live. Where are people moving to right now? They're moving to Texas. They're moving to Florida. They're moving to Tennessee. They're moving to Georgia. They're moving to the Carolinas. They're moving to Arizona, where I live. Where are they not moving? It's maybe some states that are more on the other political side of the equation. But I got to tell you something. This is the first time I've ever said this publicly, is, is that my acquisition team literally this week convinced me for me to allow them to start doing acquisitions in California. I've been anti-California for years. They officially got my permission this week to allow them to start doing deals in California. And you'll say, Cody, why is that? That's nothing like Florida or Texas or Tennessee or Georgia or Arizona. Why? And by the way, I might eat crow on this. We might fail miserably. We will see. Okay, but here's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it for two main reasons. One, go back to Warren Buffett saying, basically head the opposite direction of the crowd. When everybody else is buying, you're selling. When everybody else is selling, you're buying. Okay? There's a lot of people fleeing out of California right now. Okay? It's part of what's tempting me to want to go into California because it means that there's opportunity. Two is because we're in the value add business and we create value by getting entitlements, by getting developments approved. And so California is known to be one of the toughest states in the country to get entitlements. Well, I'm comfortable saying we're entitlement experts. We're authorities in entitlements. We are really good at entitlements. Knock on wood, thank the Lord. In my whole career, any deal I've ever tried to go get approved, I've gotten approved. But it's because of our outside-the-box thinking. We're a creative thinkers. So by us now going into California and going to start entitling deals in California, we should do very, very well financially because we've created so much value by getting stuff entitled in a tough marketplace. Does that make sense? It does. Outside of the piece about California, you're saying the same thing that I would have expected to hear for the last five or six years, regardless of where we were in the market cycle. So let me, as an amateur to your industry, but a professional in real estate and other places, I want to disagree with you and see where this goes. For the sake of fun argument for the listeners, and then we'll transition the episode. I was telling you before we started the interview that I'm based in Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been a residential real estate agent since 2014 in varying degrees of activity. I don't transact very often as an agent anymore. However, in Cincinnati, I struggle to resonate with the market cycle conversation because our property values have been up and to the right since the Great Recession. And it leads me to think that there are more factors in the supply and demand equation than just where people are moving. Now, we do have a slightly upward population trend in Cincinnati, but nowhere near the markets that you were just mentioning by any means. However, we don't really have the presence of those national builders here. We only have local and regional builders. So what has happened is that when you look specifically at home buyers and new home buyers, the supply of homes available has never been able to meet demand. They've gone up and down together with COVID and with interest rates and everything, but supply has never been able to meet demand. So values have continued to climb regardless. I know that is not the case in some of the markets that you are mentioning, where there has been a bottoming out, there has been a loss of value, 
because supply caught up to and began to outpace demand as interest rates for residential mortgages skyrocketed over the last, call it, year and a half. Why is it then, when you consider the supply and demand of available new construction homes along with migratory patterns in the United States, why is it that builders still want to be in some markets where it seems like we could be oversupplied with new homes right now? What a great question. (laughs) A really good question. Basic economics, supply and demand. Very simple. Your statement was, well, I don't need to readdress what you said. You got to make sure your demand numbers are real demand numbers. So here again, I know I keep saying I'm a meat and potatoes, black and white guy, but I'm just going to go meat and potatoes with you again, okay? So here's what I said in August of 2022. This is exactly what I said. I said, mark my words, that come first part of 24, that you're going to see the buyers come off the sidelines and you're going to see the housing shortage fully expose itself again. So when you say that demand and supply, that they're now in line with each other, sure, you can say that because the demand numbers you're using are artificial because all the buyers are sitting on the sidelines. The demand's there. They're just not active. The reason my buyers right now, my builders in Texas and Florida and Tennessee and all these markets, the reason they're so optimistic right now, the reason they're wanting deals from me so bad right now is because they're starting to see those buyers come off the sidelines. And the part of the reason they're getting them to come off the sidelines, which is really smart of my clients, is that they're buying down the interest rate. They're building into the home price, what it costs them to do the home, to buy down the rate to still get a buyer alone in the fives. Very smart. But here's what I said, and I believe this, and I know this is true. When COVID hit, before COVID, before I left the home, I knew that I needed to grab my wallet, my keys, and my cell phone. Once COVID hit, I had started adapting. It became normal for me to need to grab a fourth item, which was my stupid ass mask. I adapted to it. So here's the thing. When feds are raising rates, people don't know what the new normal is. They can't adapt to the new normal because they don't know what it is. And mark my words, when feds stop raising rates, and I said in August of 2022 that I predicted feds would be done raising rates in the middle of 23. They are going to do a couple more bumps here. Then I think they're going to do some bumps down. At the end of the day, mark my words, as soon as the feds quit jacking with rates, you are going to see the housing shortage expose itself in a major, major way. And my builders, who are much more sophisticated than me, they have departments that are all economic departments. I know they believe the same thing I do. So what happens is, is they're out there right now gathering just like I am because they know the housing shortage is going to fully expose itself again. I would say in the next six months, you're going to see it fully expose itself again in a big way. So at the end of the day, I'm rebuttaling what you said because you're using demand numbers that aren't real. You're using demand numbers that are temporary because all the demand has been sitting on the sidelines. Last question here, getting back to my part of the argument. Even in this time when demand is arbitrarily low due to interest rates and where we are in the market cycle, markets like Cincinnati continue to see home values across the spectrum outside of extreme luxury going up. 
when Austin, Texas has been going down. Why aren't they building in Cincinnati? Why aren't they building in Cincinnati? Well, full disclosure here, I don't know the Cincinnati market. It's not a market we're focused on. So all I can do right now is speculate because I would be totally misleading everybody if I tried to speak with any type of true education related to your market. But if it's not a place that me and my clients are at, me and there's not major migration happening in Cincinnati, the only thing I can think of that would cause prices to continue to go up is, I'm sure you can talk about inflation and all that, sure, easy, right? That's basic economics. But I would also assume it has a lot to do with what you said a moment ago, which is supply and demand. There's not an oversupply. If there's not an oversupply, that's going to naturally cause prices to go up. But as far as why we aren't in your market, it's because our builders aren't telling us they want to be in your market. Why aren't our builders telling us they want to be in your market? I would be totally misleading you and all the listeners if I said I knew the answer to that. I'm sure someone in my company does. I'm just a dirt guy. I just entitled dirt, bro. So I just listen. You know what I mean? So I have people on my team that know all that stuff. Well, the fewer national size players there are in Cincinnati, the better for us who are doing deals here. Cody, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure, sure. What is the best ever book you recently read? Man, recent. Recent would be The Gap in the Game. That's Dan Sullivan and Benjamin Hardy, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, it's a good one. What is your best ever way to give back? Me and my wife and our companies are big supporters of child trafficking, and we've recently really got behind Tim Tebow. And we're involved with him and his foundation financially and also just being involved in some of the things they're doing, but just love what Tim Tebow's doing. Cody, on the deals that you have done, let's say at least gotten to the end of the entitlement process and had a closing scheduled, what is the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it? Well, I went through the Great Recession, my friend. So I don't know if this is the best way to answer your question, but I'll just this is what came to my mind when you asked the question is is that back in oh seven, oh eight when the Great Recession hit, I was in my twenties and I was a snot nosed punk kid, man. I didn't do books, I didn't do mentors, I didn't do courses, I didn't do masterminds, I didn't do events. And if I would have, there's some moves I would have made at the beginning of those times that I wouldn't have taken some of the financial hits that I did. And at the end of the day, I am beyond thankful that I went through the Great Recession. And today, I will tell you that I started really embracing heavily personal growth, personal development in the last five years. And I've grown more in the last five years than I did the previous 40. And I truly desire, through all the things of being a punk kid that thought I knew everything, is, is that at the end of the day, where I'm at today, is I want to be a wise man. I want to be a wise man. And the only shot in hell I have at being wise is through humility. And so I'm learning to continue just to humble myself and to learn and grow and be in phenomenal networks. Because I didn't do any of that prior to the Great Recession, I took a lot of lickings I didn't need to. On that note, Cody, what is your best ever advice? Best ever advice? I'd have to go to my number one personal slogan of my personal brand, which is PIF. You know, a lot of you know is PIF is paid in full. PIF to me is purpose, impact, fulfillment. You want to truly get paid in full in life? 
figure out a purpose. Go serve a purpose. Through your purpose, you can have an impact, a positive impact. And through that positive impact, you'll find fulfillment. Mark my words, we are all searching for fulfillment, whether we know it or not. I think the word happiness is somewhat bold. Happiness is temporary. Happiness is empty. I can have a horrible day. But if I have fulfillment, I'm on the right track. We are all searching for fulfillment. So go find a purpose. Go serve a purpose. Have an impact through that. And through that, you'll find fulfillment. Last question, where can people get in touch with you? Go to CodyBugan.com, go to VestRite.com, go to, you know, it, but I'm on Instagram. You can go to my website, Facebook, wherever, but just search my name, Cody Bugan, and you can easily find us. Those links are in the show notes. Cody, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend you know we can add value to through our conversation today. Thank you, and have a best ever day. Thanks for having me. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so, join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to bestevercre.com forward slash access. And you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.